You're listening to The Lenses Podcast from Shades Mountain Baptist Church, engaging the world through the lens of the gospel. For more information and resources, visit shades.org lenses. I was the oldest of the four. There were three girls and one boy. Um, and there were two important things when I think of the culture in our home growing up. The first is we all thought we were the, the favorite child. And I just realized a few years ago that my daddy was telling the other sisters that they were the most special to him. Of course, we all knew the brother was. And I think that that is unique to be able to do with four children, is for each one to feel like they are the most special. The other thing that made me really feel special growing up was when I was in college, uh, my last two years of college and my two years of seminary, when I was out of town, every single day I got a letter from my dad. Every single day. Now, that doesn't mean a lot right now because you can text and email, but that was a big deal in the late 70s and the early 80s. And, in fact, I had a visit from some college friends a few months ago, and they said, when we think about you, the very first thing we think of is how jealous we were because every day when we went to the post office, you had a letter. And the last letter I got when I was in seminary said, this will be the last letter because you're getting married next week, and Barry's going to take care of you now so you won't need me as much. And um, so that was the culture that I grew up in and the culture that, I, I, um, that we attempted to establish with our sons. And sometimes it looks like it worked, and sometimes we're still not sure if it worked. But, um, but that's okay because we're all working toward that end of faithfulness to God. Um, I grew up in a, uh, a family culture, a faith family culture, um, that uh, my parents were believers, but did not grow in homes where kind of Jesus was the thing that was valued and prized and kind of set the tone for the way that the rest of things operated in the home. And so um, when I was younger, we went to church kind of off and on. Uh, when we, uh, when we, I have a, an older brother and a younger sister. When we got older, um, I came to faith in Christ when I was 16, and that kind of shifted the dynamic a little bit in our home because I was able to drive and I was going to go to church and those sorts of things. And so it ended up that our whole family kind of migrated into maturity around the same time or growing in maturity around the same time. Um, so some of the things that we're going to talk about now, when I think about my family and our kids being between two and 11, um, these are not things that I experienced um, and in some ways felt ill-equipped to kind of move into this arena as a father and uh, as a young husband, because I, ca- I hadn't experienced it myself. Like I knew that these were things that needed to be valued and, and important in families, but it wasn't something that that I had necessarily been led in and felt a little bit, honestly, a little bit handicapped on the front end. Um, and so that's one thing that as we talk through these pieces tonight, um, as I was praying earlier, you know, I was praying that none of the things that we talk about as we talk about shaping a family that, or shaping a culture that points our families to Jesus, um, in no way is our conversation meant to be one where you should walk out of here feeling guilty. Um, uh, because there is always opportunity for redemption and a new start today, for you to make new traditions and shed in, uh, set a new trajectory for your family and your relationships today. So I really want to kind of set that tone on the front end. Um, the reason that we're talking about culture first, uh, the way that we titled this was the idea that we're talking about worship tonight. Um, and the kind of drill down meaning behind the word worship itself is something uh, that we ascribe worth or worthiness to. And um, often today we think of the idea of worship as this, uh, this thing that we go to. We go to Sunday morning worship. We gather in the worship center, this center where worship happens. It's like this act that we do at a specific time in a specific place. When really, when we talk about worship, we're talking about this lifestyle 
um, this, this life that we live in, not one single action, but more kind of the whole of who we are and the way that we respond and ascribe worth and worthiness to something. Now, as people uh, tonight in, in Jesus's church here, we're talking specifically about worshiping God, worshiping um, the one who has created us, um, the one who has bought us back into relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. We're talking about worshiping him, giving him worth, ascribing him worthiness, and setting that culture, that tone in our home. So the first thing that I kind of want to say on the front end is just an idea of what culture is. Culture is a way of thinking, behaving, or working in a particular group, place, or time. Okay, so basically culture is the way that you operate in the place that you're located. So you have a culture in your home, whether you are living with roommates or living by yourself, there is a culture that you have identified or established there. Um, If you are an empty nester, or if you're with kids, um, or if you're uh, in your workplace, um, if you're a student, there are cultures in all of these different spheres. It's the way that we operate and think and work and, and move. Um, and we all contribute to it on one level or another, okay? So on the front end, when we talk about this idea of culture specifically within the home, we have to say on the front end that we all contribute to it. There's this um, guy who's a writer for Forbes, and he says that we're creators of culture either by design, intentionally, or by default, contributing to it without really being intentional about it. And we are a part of creating culture, So when we talk about this aspect of family, living, creating culture, we're all people who are giving to it. So there are three main things that we want to start off saying are creators of culture. And I want you to just track with me tonight because this is foundational and what we're talking about. And then we're going to jump into the practical stuff that you guys probably want to talk through. But this is really, really uh, foundational to what we're talking about. So there are three main ways. And I want to, what's up, man? I want to talk about um, these three main ways and pair them with scripture where um, we realize that these are ways that we shape culture. But at the same time, we want to hear what Jesus, what, what God God's word has to say about shaping culture in this way too. So we build culture in our families, specifically we're talking about tonight, through our language. The things that we say builds and shapes culture within within our homes. So the passage that we're going to look at is uh, Matthew chapter 15. And I want you to just, there are a couple different places that we could land um, talking about culture being built through language, but this is just one we're going to talk about. This is Matthew chapter 15, um, starting in verse 18, and uh, David has it on the screen for you, if you don't have your Bibles with you. It says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Okay, so basically what Jesus is saying is the things that come out of our mouths, the things that we say, they come from someplace. They don't stand alone. They come from who we are at the core of who we are. Um, When Jesus was talking about heart, he was talking about kind of our central being, our kind of core nucleus, that the things we say are part of who we are. And as we say those things, they influence those who we are around. They create a culture. So the words that we say, even the phrases that we repeat, the way that we correct, the way that we respond, the habits that we build, all of those things in our language, they build, build culture. So the first is language, the second is habits, and for this one we want to look at um, Luke chapter 6. David's got this on the screen too. This is Luke 6, and we're going to look at verse uh, 43, starting in verse 43. It says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear um, um, let's start again. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. 
The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. So as in one passage, in this Matthew passage, we're looking specifically at the heart producing the words. What, um, what we're looking at in this passage, he ends up talking about words, but he's basically saying that what, you, uh, what something is built to do, the way that it produces, is what it's going to be known for. And so if we think about this in terms of habits within our family, this is something that Holly and I have even talked about over the past, um, probably the past six weeks or so. There are things that we do in our home that sometimes we don't even know how we ended up there. (laughs) We don't know how we ended up saying the things that we say or responding the way that we responded. It's like this thing happened in the season and it kind of like just stuck for the past five years. And these habits, they shape the culture that we live in. Um, We see them fleshed out in our kids, right? When we see our kids repeat the habits that they have seen exhibited in us that we have um, either by design or default like that definition told us, either by design or default have instilled in them, it reminds us that we are both building culture by the way we speak and building culture by the way we behave in our habits. And then the last one is our expectations. So we build culture by language, habits, expectation. And I will look at Romans uh, chapter 8 for this one. And this is Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse, uh, verse 5. And it says, For those who live according to the flesh... Sorry, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so when we think about expectations here, basically um, you see this kind of same pattern going through all three passages Um, whatever is at the core of who you are is going to come out in the way that you respond and the way that you live. And our expectations do that same thing. The way that we interact with our roommates and the expectations, the way that we kind of predict how they're going to respond or expect them to know what we want without talking about it with our spouses, with our kids, the expectations that we build that are both spoken and known or unspoken and subconscious, those things build a culture in our home the way we speak, the way we behave, the expectations that we have, all of these things influence the culture that we are creating. And the bottom line question that we're going to come to at the very end of our time together tonight, um, if we're all contributing to culture in our homes, if we're all building something that elevates and ascribes worthiness and worships something in our home, and our language shows it, our habits shows it, our expectations shows it, do we... Do we have a family culture that is truly dependent on Jesus? The culture itself is dependent on Jesus. Our language is dependent on Jesus. Our habits are dependent on Jesus. Our expectations are dependent on Jesus. We can see kind of like a direct corollary tie, string to string, language to Jesus, habits to Jesus, expectations to Jesus. Or are we able to, even by asking these diagnostic questions of language, habits, expectations, are we able to see that we actually are building a culture that is dependent is grounded, founded upon something, founded upon something else. The last piece that I want to say, just in kind of these foundational spots, is that if you um, if you are um, not married but hope to be married or, or think that you will be married one day, if you're newly married but don't have kids yet, if your kids, if you have kids but they're young, um, there is this thought process that one day you're going to come to a point where you're going to actually have to be intentional about building a family culture in your home. And I just want to say on the the front end that you are never 
too young um, in your marriage, um, and even before you're married, or even your kids are too young, for you to start being intentional about building the family culture that you're going to have in your home. Like I remember, um, I remember when we when we first started um, spending time around the table reading scripture as a family. Um, Abby was actually probably three or four at the time, so she was a little bit older before we started this on a regular basis. But at that time, we uh, so we had three kids, three and under, at one point in time. So we had a, a three-year-old, an 18-month-old, and a newborn, and we're all sitting around the table, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm thinking my three-year-old can barely pick up on what I'm talking about. My 18-month-old is if I can get him to sit still and not throw something at me while I'm trying to read, like this is a total win. And our, our, our um, like newborn, he's just in his little kind of like little bouncy seat carrier thing at the bottom. I'm thinking like, how, how is this really helpful for us as a family? But in that moment, looking at it in hindsight, we were building a culture of what had priority in our family to the point that Years later down the road, if we were at breakfast and I'm not bringing the Bible to the table with me, I've got my six-year-old asking why we're not reading. There's a level of accountability that comes along with that. A culture, an expectation was built um, that started when they were young and I didn't think anything was going on. Okay? So don't think that you're ever too young personally, you're ever too young in your marriage or young in your, um, young in your parenting to really start to intentionally build that foundation um, of culture. Okay, so these are kind of ways we build culture, and there are two ways specifically that I want to talk about the way these flesh out. We want to talk about the way these flesh out. Um, And this is uh, something that Holly and I learned from a book by uh, Noel Piper, and it's called Treasuring God and Our Traditions. Um, It's a short little book, and it's going to be on a resource list that we'll hand out at the end of our time together tonight. Um, But she makes a statement that um, when we look at our family cultures, when we look at instilling the truth of God in the person of Jesus in, in in our kids and in our families, We do this in the everyday, and we do this in the special days, okay? So we build culture all the time, but intentionally we do it every day, and we do it in the the special days. So um, there are two things that I want to look at in Scripture um, that kind of talk about this everydayness. The first, uh, I'm just going to reference, we're not going to look at, but this is Exodus chapter 20. Um, verses 1 through uh, 8 through 11, if you want to just write that down and reference it later. And basically, um, Moses is talking to God's people about the importance of Sabbath and rhythm and routine and the way that God has intended for us to have rest and rhythm in our work week. Um, And so there's this kind of like everyday idea that even the way that God has set up the seven days in a week, there is to be this rhythm of dependence in our lives and in our work and in our family that our everyday would be kind of centered in dependence on, on God. And then the second is um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, um, which is one that anytime we talk about family or family culture, I feel like this is the one we come back to. Will you, will you read it for us? Is that cool? Here, here you go. You don't have your glasses. <laughs> Use your mic. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you, are, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So there's definitely everydayness in this passage. We, I've got three things that I want to kind of trek through when we think about everydayness, but as you read that passage, you can kind of think about everyday culture building. Is there anything that kind of stands out to you that you want to reflect on? 
the first thing that came to my mind when Chad mentioned sitting around the table with a three-year-old and an 18-month-old and a newborn and not knowing if they were getting it, it made me think of sitting around the table with a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old or, you know, and wondering, are they getting it either? It's real close, <laughs> those of you who have been the teenage route. But consistency is what we found, is that we just have to, to keep on, keep on, keep on, because it is it is binding in their hearts. And um, I think a lot of times we have guilt because as the children get older, schedules just don't lend themselves. You cannot make schedules work where everybody is sitting around the table and you have those um, dreams of, first of all, how your children are always going to behave in the grocery store and then how they're going to sit around the table with you at family worship. And it just... Unfortunately for many of us, for us, did not happen. But what we learned was it's the as you're going. You may not can sit around the table and read the Bible and have prayer every single day or once a week even sometimes. But you use those opportunities as they come along when they don't make a team or they don't make the all-star team or they didn't get to start first string on football or, or something happens. You use those teaching moments as you would during the family devotion time. And I think that's what Deuteronomy is talking about. Not only do we have those planned times, but we have got to be so consistent in our own lives that we can pick up on those times and use them as teachable moments. And not just when we have children at home, but now is the joy of grandparenting. We have those same opportunities um, to create really even more so than just living as the opportunities are given to us as grandparents, we have the opportunity to create those times, those teaching moments. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So there are three things specifically that we're going to look at tonight in terms of building culture in the everyday. Um, the first one is priorities. And the way that I want to look at priorities are these are the things that are observed but not explicitly taught right? So they're the things that we see in each other, in our roommates, that we see in our spouses, and that our kids even see in us. Um, when I was kind of thinking through this again this afternoon, the idea that came to mind, um, I'm not sure how Holly would feel about this if she were here. She'll be fine. We would be okay with this. We, I think we, we, I think we'd be okay with this. Um, so anytime that we, anytime that we're kind of like deep cleaning the house, the kid's question is, who's coming over? Okay. So we keep, Holly keeps a very orderly house and she keeps it, you know, like relatively clean. But anytime that like we go hardcore on deep mopping, you guys get what I'm saying. Anytime that happens, the question is, who's coming over? Well, like... What does that say? That says that the deep cleaning is not necessarily a priority to us every week. I grew up in a home where I had my chores. I had to clean the bathroom every single Saturday. My mom is like, she highly prioritized cleanliness. And so that was something that routinely we did on a very regular basis. And I was taught that that was a priority in our home by observation and then by being handed a bucket and a sponge, right? Um, and our kids do the same thing by observing in us what is priority in the everyday. Um, and as simple as, as something like that, like cleaning, but also in the way that we value and prize and prize Jesus on our own. Um, as, as I even, we're going to drop this specifically into kind of some spiritual discipline arenas in just a second. But I remember at one point in time, um, there was 
uh, a few weeks back where I was sitting after breakfast, and I was, uh, it was a slower morning, and I was reading scripture after breakfast, and um, Abby came and sat down, and she said, so are, are you having your devotion? And I said, yeah, I am. And she, uh, she was like, oh, I didn't know. I, I didn't know if you're just like reading or what. And I thought she, she I, I generally read when she is not around. I read before she gets up or I read before, she, after she goes to sleep. And she doesn't ever see me regularly in scripture. And so she doesn't necessarily know that that's a priority to, to me by observation. She just knows it is by talking. Does that make sense? And so she is evaluating what is and what is not a priority to me, based off of what what she observes. you have any thoughts on that? You don't have to. I'm going to keep on going. Um, The first is priorities. The second is uh, routines. So priorities are things that observe, not necessarily taught. Routines are these things that we intentionally build into kind of the rhythm of our day and the rhythm of, of our week, the rhythm of our month, the rhythm of our year. These things that our kids are a part of and participate in um, that says that this, is, this has value, this has uh, importance. So um, I remember whenever I first started kind of thinking about what would it look like for our family to have family worship, and I've, I've talked about this in a couple different settings, so you may have heard me say it before, but I remember thinking like I had to learn how to play the guitar, um, and I've got really fat fingers, and it's hard for me to do that little thing. I'm even holding it on the wrong side. It's hard for me to do the chord thing with the guitars um, or learn how to play the piano because if you're going to do family worship, surely you have to be able to sing. And of course, my I'm, my kids are going to sit and listen to me preach. And you know, it's like I'm thinking worship service. I've got to do this in our home. And I was talking to a, a buddy of mine one day and he was like, you know, you just need to redeem what you have. Like you've got time already where you're talking about your young kids where you can sit down and just spend time in Scripture while they're young. And we, we've really found what Lisa's saying about scheduling, making things really difficult the older our kids get. But when they're younger, for breakfast, that's what it turned into. We had this rhythm, this routine of in, in the morning when we have breakfast, we're going to spend time in Scripture together and we're going to pray. Like it's, it was a chapter, it was a section from a, a children's storybook, and we're going to pray for one of the Christmas cards that we leave sitting in the middle of the table. There's this routine, this expectation that the kids built in the everyday that showed what our priorities were. Um, so just kind of routines in incorporating uh, spiritual disciplines and even incorporating kind of the character of God in the way that we respond to others and being hospitable and being giving, um, building that in the routine and the rhythm of, of who we are as a family. And what that brings to mind to me on routines is, like I had said, we reached a point um, when the boys were teenagers that it was very hard to gather at a certain time. But one routine that was very valuable to Barry, and, and we learned later how valuable it was to John and Chad. Barry went to work very early, and we lived real close to the high school, so he was gone most mornings before the boys were up and going. But every single morning while they were in high school, um, Barry wrote, he had a little index cards, and he wrote a note to each one of them. It was different, and it was a different scripture to each one of them, but it fit whatever was going on in their day, and he slid it under their door. And we didn't know what they were doing with them. But uh, one time I had to get into one of their cars and he had torn a piece of it off and had it in the dash. And then another time we found one of those cards somewhere else where he was um, looking back to it, referring to it, keeping it so that he could could read it. And they had kept all of them. And uh, Barry died when they were um, right out of college. And when um, 
when, as they were each getting ready to, to move on, um, when we were going through their stuff, in each one of their rooms, we found those cards. And they didn't even necessarily remember at that time they had them, but it was stacks of cards that they had kept through the years. And so that was a routine that wasn't a sit-around-the-table family worship time, but it was definitely a worship time between them and their dad every um, every day for all the years that they were in high school. That's really cool. It's neat, too, to hear you talk about your dad writing you letters yeah. and then kind of Barry doing the same I thing. I wonder if he heard that story and he didn't want my dad to be better than him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, I've heard uh, Kent and Tammy Johnson's another uh, family in our church that they, when their boys got older, they had three boys that were around the same age. Um, when they were all kind of in high school, they would, at the end of their hallway, have an index card with a scripture verse on it, and they would make sure that, um, you know, that they would each read it, you know, once during the week or once a day or something like that, and kind of like write a note or a thought or an initial that kind of went along with that index card. So even trying to be creative when it gets more difficult from a scheduling standpoint to really prioritize and value um, value Jesus and the rhythms of your rhythms of your home. Um, okay, so we've got priorities which are observed. We got routines which um, kind of happen. I want to say something about this routine idea real quick. Even when we're specifically talking about um, about reading scripture and about prayer, um, I remember at one point in time um, I had this thought of. So we're doing this. This is becoming part of a family culture in our home. Our kids expect it. They're listening to it. In some ways, are they just kind of like hearing and falling into plan in this culture that we've built? Or are we teaching them to critically think and engage with what we're, with what we're talking about here? Um, and then I, I, two things happen. One is I remember this passage from Deuteronomy 6 where this is God's plan. Like God's plan is that there would be this rhythm where parents would teach their kids of the faithfulness of God on a very kind of routine basis. Like this was his plan is that parents would lead their kids in understanding faith. Um, and then the second thing happened around that same time, we were sitting at the dinner table or sitting at, at breakfast and I was reading. And after I finished reading, Abby looked at me and she said, well, how do I know that's true? Okay. Which is a great question, right? At that point, I have the opportunity to teach my daughter how to think and not just what to think, even as a nine-year-old, which is really, really, really important. Um, that she's able, even in really elementary phase, when that first question comes up, to be able to say, that's a great question. I've asked that question myself and kind of walk through that process with her instead of just shutting it down and saying, well, it's the Bible, it's God's word, you know, and there are, there's space to really to, to be firm about God's truth being God's truth, but to leave space for question and let your kids really own, even in a, in a young age, what faith looks like. The third thing is unplanned opportunities. So priorities, routines, and then there's just this unexpected. This is this kind of this walking by the way piece. This thing when you just like don't even know what's going to come up and you have an opportunity to talk about the character or faithfulness of God or value Jesus in a way that is really unique. Um, uh, I remember uh, Abby was in kindergarten and we were driving to school and all of a sudden she looks outside and she sees like a cloud and it triggers for her. God is so creative. Look at that cloud up there. How awesome that he's able to kind of care for the earth with the clouds and at the same time create this really beautiful thing. And, and so then I start and this, this is, you know, it's like this light bulb awesome moment, right? She's on her own talking about the things of God. And so I'm like, yes, you're right. And I'm like diving into it. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, look at that bush. And it's like totally distracted by what I'm talking about. And I'm like thinking that it's totally gone by the wayside, but it was this unplanned opportunity to just talk about the faithfulness of God, and the Spirit uses those things in even a, a little, girl's, little girl's life. And as we're thinking about unplanned opportunities, 
<clears throat> which it seems like through life, there seems to be more unplanned opportunities than planned opportunities as our children grow up. But I love the verse in Joshua 4, and um, I think it's on the, on the screen. Joshua 4, 4 through 7. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. And this is the key. When your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And another place um, in the Bible in Exodus, it also has that same phrase of when your children ask you is Passover. Uh, Remember in the, the account of the Passover, it says you do all of these things so that when your children ask you, that you can tell them this is why, um, this is what happened on this night when we put the blood over the door and when the, the angel of death passed over us. When your children ask you. And these unplanned opportunities are the times, I think, that can become the valuable when your children ask you. And I have, in, in looking back over at life and now in, in planning, um, thinking about life with grandchildren, because that changes everything. Um, I'm looking at some beaming people over on this side of the room. I like to think of this verse, the memorial stones, as those either unplanned or planned opportunities. And it's not so much the things that happen, but the way we respond that is building that altar, that memorial, so that our children or our grandchildren can look back in their lives and see this really great thing happened in our life. And this was the response of my parents and my grandparents. They taught us about the faithfulness of God because of God's generosity to us or because this wonderful thing happened in our lives. And then this terrible thing happened. Somebody died. We lost a job, whatever. This terrible thing happened. And I can look back at my parents and my grandparents and see how they responded in faithfulness. And I grew through that probably even more than I grew through the great times. And so I can look back on all of these planned and unplanned opportunities. And I have this memorial that's just building. My memorial is still building. But I want to be intentional in building that for my children and grandchildren of their watching my response and it doesn't really matter how many if we sit around the table 14 times a week we make it two meals a day and have family devotions if when the hard times come and I crash and I totally fall apart then what have I taught them and so my my words and my life and I keep going back to this it it all is determined on my walk with God is how I'm going to be the influence on my children and my grandchildren or my roommates or my friends or my siblings and helping them build that memorial for all of their life that they can look back and say, I know, I know, I know because the Bible tells me, because God has told me and because of the faithfulness of my grandmother, the faithfulness of my granddaddy, of my mother and my daddy. I know God is faithful.
That's a really, um, that thought of, of kind of translating the idea of the memorial stones basically, it reminds me of first or second Peter, the living stones, first Peter, um, where, uh, where Peter's talking about how we will be these holy stones kind of like remembrance. It's the same thing. You're the pillars. What do these mean? Our lives, what do they mean? We're evidence individually of God's faithfulness. That's really, really good. Um, all right, so every day we've got priorities, routines, unplanned opportunities, and the last step we want to take is looking specifically at special days. Um, so I want us to think, uh, there's Leviticus chapter 23, we are not going to read this whole thing, but just from a concept standpoint, I want you to think with me in the Old Testament, if, if you've got some working knowledge, if not, I'll give a brief survey, that basically whenever God was setting up um, the way that his people, his family, um, Israel, was going to live in relationship with him and live in relationship with each other. He set up specific feasts, special days that happen on a yearly or routine basis where the people of Israel were, were to stop and to remember God's faithfulness. Um, it, the Passover that Lisa referenced earlier, this was something that happened on an annual basis where the people of God, Israel, would stop and remember how God had delivered them from captivity in, in, in Egypt and brought them into the promised land even 40 years later. They would do that even um, up until the time of Jesus. That's what happened around the time when Jesus was crucified. Um, so the Passover is this thing that they did on a, a regular um, a rotation to, to, to remember. Um, there was feast that they would have to celebrate God's provision and harvest. I mean, just all sorts of things um, where they would stop and they would remember this is this regular rhythm that God built into his people, that they would stop and they would remember God's faithfulness. They would stop and they would remember God's faithfulness. And there were specific things that they would do during each of those feasts. So that's Old Testament. New Testament, I want to look just real briefly at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 20, uh, 23 through 26. And this is where one of those feasts is taken and given kind of a different context by Jesus. And it's been, uh, Paul's writing about it to the Corinthians. So this is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, why? In remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, why? In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus himself is instituting the special time of remembrance, where we remember the sacrifice of Jesus in a very particular and a very special way. Okay, So we see that every day, but then we also see these special times where we as a church family are to stop, and at the same time as we're building cultures within our homes, we need to build space in to stop and specifically remember the goodness of God, the character of God in a really particular season in the life of our family, or even in the, the seasons, uh, seasons of the year. So there are three, three ways we want to look at, at, the, at the special days. The first is uh, traditions. Um, traditions that we build in our home. And this may not even be centered around a holiday. We'll talk about those separately. But traditions that we build in our home, ways that we creatively think to remember the faithfulness of God and build family culture, build family identity um, among uh, among our, our spouse and our kids as a, as a family unit. Can you, I know you've thought of some holiday traditions. Can you think of other traditions that you guys have had? On the spot. There's, um, there are things that we as a family will do, um, even in the way that we, um, when we go hiking, 
those during the summer we go hiking in the fall we go hiking and on those hikes we really intentionally talk about the creativity of um, of God in creation okay now that is a tradition and something that's kind of irregular it's not something that happens every July 24th but it's something that happens every summer and every fall that we really take and capitalize on to talk about the faithfulness of God in the context of a different situation so traditions that you build the second is just holidays and we're going to talk about that just dive into it for just a second the second are holidays, and these are things that are built into uh, just our calendar in general, where we have an opportunity to really think about um, God's faithfulness to us in some specific ways. Three, one, three holidays that we really for, that we really dive into in our family. Um, birthdays are a huge deal with us. I'm going to call that a holiday. Your birthday is a holiday. I'm a firm believer that it should be like a national thing that the government says, where if you if it's your birthday, you don't have to work. Don't you think? And the IRS sends you a special cupcake check. You know what I'm saying? Birthdays are a holiday. Um, And we make a huge, huge deal out of birthdays. The kids don't have to go to school on their birthday. They get to do, we take them to eat wherever they want to go on their birthday. We will write them letters sometimes. We did that a lot when they were younger. Um, We will sit down around the table that night and everybody talks about the way that God has made that person specifically the way that he has made them and thank God for whoever's birthday it is because of the way he specifically made them. Birthdays are a huge, huge deal at our house. Um, Christmas is a really big deal at our house. Um, uh, these are I brought just a couple things because it's Christmas right now. Um, two things that we do in terms of tradition in, at our house is at dinner um, we have we light Advent candles. So there's uh, five candles. There's four weeks essentially before Advent and or before Christmas and then Christmas Day. And so each night we will light a candle. Each one has different significance, and we'll read a passage of scripture that goes along with it. That's what that little creative felt chain that Holly made right there is tells us which scripture passage to read. That's a tradition where we remember um, the coming of Christ in prophecies and we read the fulfillment of those prophecies um, leading up to Jesus' birth. And we do that every year. We read those prophecies and those fulfillments every year. So it's a special season that we get to do that. Easter is a big deal. Thanksgiving is a huge deal at our house. All these kind of like built-in rhythms where we aren't just celebrating Easter eggs. We're not just um, celebrating Elf on a Shelf. We're not just buying honey-baked turkeys. Where We're intentionally taking what is there and we're using it in a way to remember, bless you, the faithfulness of God in our life and our family. Does that make sense? Not just kind of going with the Hallmark holiday, but really using it in a way to honor God. You have fun traditions. You've got fun traditions. We have fun traditions. In fact, most of our traditions center around extended family after I've really thought about it. And um, every year um, at Christmas, this will be my 60th Christmas, and I have seen my daddy, 60, my daddy and mom, 60 60 Christmases um, in two weeks. And that's just been a part of our life is the importance of family and extended family. And by making the effort to get to Louisiana, sometimes we were there less than 24 hours, but we got there. And talking about the blessing of having grandparents and how instrumental they have been in um, my children's lives. And every single, almost every single year of their life, the whole crew, 20-something of us, got to the beach. And um, again, it, it was that blessing of family and extended family and having the grandparents who were spiritually instrumental in listening to the, the granddaddy who liked to act like the, all the teenage boys. There were eight of them, eight cousins born in five years, and uh, the granddaddy in the middle of all of that, but being that spiritual leader along the way. And um, 
Thanksgiving is when everybody comes to Birmingham. And so really, extended family has been our tradition, I think. And, um, and my children, looking now that they're grown, they are continuing that. When they And all the cousins, when they make the effort to bring their children now back, then um, that's just a, a true blessing to us. And most, the, the most important thing, though, is the, the influence those grandparents have had on their lives and how sometimes they'll call the grandparents before they do us if they have something to talk about and using that as an example of the, to be the kind of grandmother that I want to be. And the, a Christmas tradition that we didn't do that I wished we had done, in fact, I had wanted to do it so much right before the boys graduated from high school, I tried to gather it up. I had wished that I had gotten an ornament every year like so many wonderful mothers do and have on the tree that represents something that happened in their life, but it just didn't happen. It just <laughs> did not happen. And so I was trying to gather all those things up before they left home, and I didn't do it. But what I have realized is I can do it now for my grandchildren. And so I've already started. This will be my second time of getting the ornament. But in addition to getting the ornament, I'm going to write a note every year to each one of them of one way that I have seen God's provision in their life. It's easy the first two years because they were two and three pounds when they were born. And so we have seen God's provision just that they're here and that they're healthy. And I'm not sure. I haven't decided if I'm going to give it to them when they get married or if I'm just going to wait until I die and let it be a special surprise to them. It just depends on what kind of adults they grow up to be because I fully intend to be here to be able to make that decision. But that's an example, I hope, of something that I didn't do and I wish I had done and it was a great thing that some mothers did. But I've got another chance. I can do it for my grandchildren. So all is not lost on these great traditions. You can talk about your gingerbread houses. Well, ginger, well, some traditions, this is going to be great, can just go up in smoke, can just disappear. This is not a spiritual tradition. But it's awesome. But it's a great tradition. We build gingerbread houses. We don't use kits. We don't use graham crackers. I bake the gingerbread. I cook it. I did, did that picture get to you in time, David? Like that? Okay, see, that's an ice cream cone. And so that gives you the, they're big. We do big gingerbread houses. I do. I've been, done it all their lives. They she grew baked all the, that gingerbread. Yeah, you bake like it she... and put it together. It's like one of my favorite things to do. It's all edible stuff. So I've always done gingerbread houses. My mother did, has done them too. I've always done gingerbread houses. But what do you do with a gingerbread house after New Year's? You can't save them in the South because they, they turn to mush. And so my boys decided that they would take care of it. So when they were little, they would be cute and throw baseballs at them and, you know, let them. I had not done churches. Now, they didn't do this to churches. Um, (laughs) They would throw their baseballs. And then the older they got, they got more creative, and they would put firecrackers inside them. And they would, you know, do little poofs. Well, all the Graves family that was entrustful in that area, and these are adult men and grown cousins would always come to our house on New Year's, and truly, for many, many, many years, the entertainment was, how do we blow up the gingerbread house? (laughs) And they even would plan all year how, and the last one that they, and I'll tell you why it was the last one, the last one that they... (laughs) that they blew up, one of the guys from Trustful said, I have a friend who works for the FBI, and I've been talking about ways to build explosives to do the gingerbread houses. And so they had like 200 uh, sparklers, and I don't know what all. Anyway, they put it in the gingerbread house, and we had this concrete drain thing going through the front yard, 
and then there was a long way, like the house was from here to the chairs from the road. And so the gingerbread house was there. They exploded it, and the wind caught it. And in seconds, I wish I had the video because we do have one, the whole front yard was in, truly in flames this high. And they were running around stomping and uh, had trying to get hoses. And somebody said, call the fire department. And Barry said, don't call the fire department. We're not supposed to have fireworks in the city limits. And so the, the little boy down the street came to watch. And when we finally got it out, he said, so what's the grand finale for New Year's? And it's like, we're going to burn the neighborhood down, I guess. But that was the last gingerbread house that was exploded, and then I did build a church because I didn't think they could have done that to churches. But here's the funny thing. One year, um, back when I was here the first time, Miss Sharman, I don't know if any of y'all know her, but she taught first grade Sunday school until she was 90, literally, and that was like two years ago. She and some people were at my house one Christmas, and she was looking at the houses, and somebody started telling the stories, and I thought, oh, she's going to think bad of me and a couple of weeks later at Sunday school she said we have a new tradition at our house she said my great-grandchildren and I built a gingerbread house and we took it in the backyard and we blew it up <laughs> and I said well if I can have that kind of influence on Miss Sharman but then I thought my legacy at Shades is going to be we blow up gingerbread houses but that truly truly is one of our fun traditions not the blowing them up but the building the gingerbread houses that's a great story. It's a great story. I'll show you the video. It's interesting, though, even thinking about that and thinking about your boys, thinking about Chad and John. Like, they value fun. They value experience. And that's something that is that we see in you, you know, that is built within the culture of your family. It's, it's pretty cool. All right, so traditions, holidays. And then the last one is vacation, and then we're going to do, uh, do some Q&A. Um, so these are like special times, vacation are, when you can really do something intentional and special with uh, your family, with your spouse, with your roommates, where you're away from kind of the normal, regular routine and have the opportunity in a different setting and a different circumstance um, to, in some way, talk about the faithfulness of God, talk about the character of God in a way that may be fresh and new. Maybe you do something different, have a different sort of experience, experience together um, when you're in a different location, something about vacation um, that would afford you that kind of opportunity. So we've got the everyday, the special days. We've got priorities, routines, unplanned opportunities with everyday. With special days, we've got traditions, holidays, and vacations. Okay, so there's kind of the practical end of it. And the question that we still come back to at the end is, does your family culture depend on Jesus? Okay, and what Lisa was saying earlier, your family culture can't depend on Jesus if we individually are not depending on Christ personally. We are the people that build the culture. Now, when we talk about that from kind of a societal standpoint, the culture that we live in, that is a very true statement. We've been talking about that all semester. But right now, we're driving it home, literally, and talking about the cultures that we build and influence um, in the roof that we wake up under and that we go to sleep under. Are we dependent on Jesus? And if we are not, the question that we have to ask is, what are we dependent on? How do we see that in ourselves? How do our roommates, our spouses, our friends, our children, how do they see that in, the, in us? If you went to my daughter and asked her what we valued, went to one of our sons and asked them what we value, what we worship, what would they say? Because they have an opinion on it. What would they say? So are we dependent on Jesus? Okay. I hope this has been helpful. It's a lot kind of at one time. Um, we're going to 
offer just a couple minutes for Q&A if you guys have questions or if you have some thoughts to offer based off of the things that we've kind of hit tonight from your own experience that you'd like to share as well. So any questions, thoughts? That's a home run. Questions, thoughts? One thing I learned on traditions um, is the traditions will come to an end at some point, some of them. Um, And I learned that, thankfully, from my sister, and I didn't have to learn it myself, but she and her children, when I say children, they were as old as mine. They were in their 20s. And um, we were all at my parents' house on Christmas morning, and she had still set out everything for Santa and so forth. And they came in, it was like, Mom, I'm getting married next month it's time to stop kind of thing. And, of course, it, it made her sad, and I was standing there thinking, man, I'm glad that mine, for, I wasn't glad they weren't there, but I was glad that they weren't there because I would have put it, put it out too. And it's, it's like uh, these were our traditions, and they were wonderful, and they were great, and they were great growing up. But at some point, they have to go along the way. Um, sometimes, some of them do to let our children grow up and began their own traditions. But then it's so fun to watch them establish their own homes and pick up some of the things that we were doing that they want to do with their own homes. And, in fact, even the advent that I never was sure with our boys. I'm making them sound like they were terrible. They're really great people. But advent was not always a time when we would light the candles and read the devotions. I wasn't always sure how important it was to them. But I was at Chad and Lauren's house. They're the ones with the one-year-old twins. And Lauren said, you should have heard Chad. She said, we printed off and they showed me the, the advent. She said, the, the, the uh, advent that Chad Kossaboom sent us. She said, you should have heard Chad singing, a little town of Bethlehem, all by himself, uh, trying to teach it to the boys. She said he had trouble on the second verse because he didn't know the words and he couldn't keep the rhythm going. But I thought, it did really stick. It was something important to them, um, even though at the time they didn't join, you know, they didn't run up and say, Mom, I'm 17, let's sit around the table and light the Advent candles, but we did, and we stuck to it, and it, it stuck with them. Any other thoughts? Tell us some things that you've done, that That's you good. do, or that growing up was important to you, because we would all love to hear. Welcome. We have family arrived from across the world who are on the mission field with us. The cookies that are at the table, we asked some folks to bring uh, cookies that had significance for them and their families. Um, and there's some of the tables have cards that talk about why they were significant for their family or what kind of memory they bring. Um, but that was kind of extending tradition to tonight a little bit. So that's good, Larry. Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, I, there are a couple different ways I could go with that, Joel. I think the first thing that kind of comes to mind is the idea that we as fathers are painting for our kids a picture of their Heavenly Father. Um, and so if we are absent and not teaching them something that we are verbally saying is one of the most important things for us personally or for us as a family, if we are not the ones that are leading out in that, then that speaks by observation to the fact that it is not necessarily true. And it also leaves a deficit in some way of how our, um, I don't want to say leaves a deficit, it, um, it misses an opportunity to tangibly show our children the care of their Heavenly Father for them. I've talked to a guy recently about that. Um, just I've even seen that in my own, in my own family, um, the importance of stepping up and as the husband being and father being able to lead in your home um, sets the trajectory for how God has established families and established marriages as the husband, the father, as the one who is responsible for the flock that is under his roof. And if you abdicate that, if you give that up and are not actively involved in it, then there is a way that you're kind of um, uh, stepping down from the role and the responsibility that, that is just yours as a husband and a father. It is yours as a man whether you want it or not. You're going to be held responsible for it whether you want to be held responsible for it or not. So the opportunity that we have in front of us to really lead our family and lead our kids and be present both in, and, and it's interesting that you bring up some of the routine things that moms have opportunity to do that dads don't necessarily have an opportunity to do, but we have unique opportunities too that, um, that I feel like our wives don't necessarily always have, but we don't think about it in the same terms, right? We're not redeeming or taking captive those opportunities. Um, is that speaking to what you're talking about? Yes, Becky. That's great. That's really great. I've seen that with um, with families that do that, with even uh, like baked goods that they'll make in their home that have significance, taking them to neighbors. It has an opportunity to share the story behind it at a special season like that too. That's really good, Becky. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Okay, we're going to take a couple minutes and for you guys to talk at your tables, you've got the lenses question sheet in front of you. Tonight we're going to look at questions uh, 3, 10, 13, and 20, I think. Is that right? Yep, 3, 10, 13, and 20. Um, give you guys some space to discuss this topic of, of creating family culture, and then we will come back in just a minute and hear maybe some of your thoughts that you've had. Hey, there we go. As you guys tie up time at your tables, is there anything that has stood out as you have talked or anything you've heard someone say that you think would be helpful for us to all hear? Anybody? No? Okay. Lisa and I were talking. You guys are a hard group to read, just so you know. We hope tonight has been, yes, Matt, was that your goal? Mission accomplished, buddy. Um, 
We hope that tonight has been helpful, even in just kind of like thinking through, even if this is stuff that you have heard before, and this is kind of remedial in some ways, um, I find that it's always good to hear it again, maybe in a different way or in, from a different mouth. Um, so I hope that that has, has really been helpful. And um, uh, we were just even talking. I think that there are things that I heard before Holly and I were even married that were tucked into the back recesses of my mind that let me know once we got married something needed to be different with our kids, that there were some intentional steps we needed to take. And that happened long before we even had our first child. Um, and so for those of you tonight that you're kind of in that spot, this is not your... This is not like irrelevant to you. It's completely relevant, <laughs> you know. And then those of us that are kind of walking in that space with kids or grandkids or whatever that looks like, um, our prayer is that the Lord would use our time tonight to be an encouragement, um, uh, to encourage you in what you already are doing and maybe encourage you for another step of something that you would have you do to leave your, lead your family in the next season of his faithfulness. So will you, um, we're going to do a, I think we're going to skip that prayer. Um, will you pray for us? As we finish, is that okay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two, three things, real fast. Um, one is Lisa mentioned that uh, the the Advent Family Worship Guide that we put out uh, at the end of November. We've got a few copies that are over here on this uh, speaker. Whenever you're walking out, if you want to grab one, um, you can do that, or you can download it online at shays.org/christmas. Uh, number two is uh, we have a resource list, and these are things that Holly and I have just used and compiled. Um, uh, some of them are about uh, leading your family and following Jesus. Some of them are age specific. So if you just want, if you're interested in that kind of thing, that is over there on that side, side speaker as well. And then the third is there's been some confusion about what lenses is. Um, lenses is not a series. Um, it is an offering that is continual. It's going to be continual on our church calendar. So the idea that we view all of life through the lens of the gospel opens up a myriad of opportunities for us to talk about so, so many different things. And this is the space where we as a church have family have space to, to hear teaching on them, to dialogue about them around tables. And so this is going to be ongoing. Um, lenses will be back January the 11th, Wednesday night, January the 11th. So this is the last time for uh, the fall all winter. There's no more church programming um, on Wednesday nights except for dinner next week in prayer meeting. Um, there's no more church programming until January the 11th, which is also my birthday. I'll be here, though. I'm not taking the day off. Um, huh? We'll celebrate. We'll celebrate. Uh, so That's why said it. I'm not scared about that. Um, so uh, church programming starts back Wednesday night, January the 11th. Lenses will continue. We already have the spring calendar planned, um, which I wish that I had thought to bring it with me, but I didn't. Really so strong. it will be up on the, the church website, shades.org slash lenses on Monday, if you're interested in seeing what's coming next. So thanks for reminding us of that. Will you pray for us? I will. Thanks. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this group of adults in the room tonight. And I just ask that for each one who is here, that if just one nugget of truth from from um, your word has been tucked into their hearts, that um, it will be something that can help affect not only their lives, but their children or their grandchildren's or their future children's lives. And I thank you for um, just the, the many opportunities that you give us here at this church to think about you and to learn about you in so many different ways and I pray your special blessings on each person here um, through travel uh, through preparing for guests to come to their home um, through 
time stresses just through um, all of the many um, really wonderful parts of the Christmas season and sometimes the hard parts when there are, are um, severed relationships. I pray your blessings on each, each person here and that this will be truly a wonderful time of drawing closer to you. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas.